bottled waters down here. Hallelujah. Well, man, I love you guys. Love of God is here. It feels so good. Is it hot in here, though? Can we turn that heat down? Pretty please, somebody. Amen. All I need is one amen. No, it's the other one, the one to the right. Yeah, there we go. Got to make it comfortable in the living room, amen. If you're a little person, uh, you are going with Teresa. Teresa is right there, and uh, she's the bravest person in the room, and she's going to love on you and teach you cool stuff and feed you good snacks. Amen. She's got a real cool uh, teaching today about Pearl of Great Price. She was telling me about it earlier, so it's good stuff. Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 3, please. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. My beautiful wife is not here today because we got food poisoning. Um, when was it? Friday? And so uh, we ate some bad fish. Yeah, hallelujah. And uh, it was rough. And I had a real rough day yesterday, but I feel better today. But she's still recovering, so we extend our love and grace towards Stacy. You know, bless you, honey. Because you know, when when the mo- when Mama gets sick, I mean, like, you know, it's when 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 Daddy gets sick, it's one thing. But when Mama gets sick, like the ho- whole house just, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Because kids have no concept of when someone's not well or whatever. Lily's just, you know, jump doing backflips off the couch and. Landing on me and landing on Stacy and just you know we're like honey that hurts you know it's like yeah but it's all good but we she she's recovering she's doing better I'm doing a whole lot better so I'm grateful and I'm thankful but uh, stay away from the fish you know what I'm saying no, I'm not gonna name the restaurant or anything like that <laughs> it was a long day yesterday though anyway Acts chapter three and um, how many know that that God is a God of of restoration uh, he he likes to restore things. Uh, the enemy likes to steal things, and God likes to restore things. And um, there's kind of like this um, enemy's always trying to steal things, and the Lord's always restoring them. And, but when God restores what the enemy has stolen, it's always better. Um, it's always better in, in quality. Um, it's always just, it's better in every sense. How I many know that when God fixes something that's broken, it's stronger than what it was before it was broken. And so that can give all of us just tremendous encouragement because uh, we've all dealt with broken things. We've all personally been broken, but God fixes us. And when he fixes us, um, it, it brings with it a, a testimony. It brings with it a power. You know, I, I now preach out of all the places where I was broken, you know, my, the drug addiction, alcoholism, and uh, the abuse from religion and all those types of things. And and uh, so whatever the enemy tries to bring in your life to bring about evil, how many know God's going to turn it around and bring about good? Amen. The key is to not get bitter, and the key is to not blame God, and the key is to not get offended. Um, if, you can, if you can keep those things out, then God will continue to, to minister healing. God's still ministering healing even when you're in that place, but um, how many know that you're just like we were hugging each other earlier, how many know a hug is a two-way street? You know, you can't, you know, if someone comes up and they hug me and I'm just like this, yeah. I mean, you know, that's actually not a real hug. You have to open yourself up to receive. And, uh, and in opening yourself up, how I many you know, that's a place of vulnerability. And, you know, you're, you're, you're opening yourself up ready to receive. And, and so God is always hugging. God is always loving. God's always restoring. But sometimes we can have things that happen in our life that we don't understand why. And uh, we can get mad about it. And uh, sometimes we can get mad at God and we can get mad at people. And uh, I do believe there are some things that you're never going to even understand why on this side. And uh, I'm finally at the place in my life where I'm settled with that. Um, 
You know, there was a time in my life when I thought I had, to ha- I thought I had God completely figured out, and I knew everything there was to know about God, and I could tell you exactly why this didn't work or why that didn't work. But the more that I've grown in the Lord, the more I realize there's some things I just don't know. And, uh, and I believe that we don't really have the ability to even understand. You know, just like, you know, currently I, my, I got, you know, Lily, my little two-year-old, and uh, I share this analogy all the time, but it's just a great analogy. You know, she, you know, she needs her diaper changed, but she doesn't want her diaper changed, right? And so I'm trying to change her diaper, and she's running for me. And then once I get her, she's wrestling me and fighting me, and it's taking, you know, 10 more minutes than what it normally would take. And I have to change her diaper in order to help her feel good and be healthy and all of these things. But at two years old, she can't understand why. She, she, I cannot convey to the two-year-old mind why I have to do this, right? And um, I believe that there are things in our life that God does not have the ability to convey to us why. On this side. And that's, and that's where trust comes in. And that's where uh, we walk with the Lord. And when we get to the other side, this is something I believe with all of my heart, that we're going to find out that God was way better than we ever thought he was, that he was far better, and everything that happened, the, the, the hand of love was involved, and God was looking to help you and to rescue you. Look, just because of the fact that you're alive is a miracle. How many enemies try to kill you guys? And, and just, the, just because of the fact that you are still alive is, is proof of the Lord's preservation and the Lord's love towards you. Amen. And so, uh, but the enemy, he's always throwing his punches and he's always trying to steal, but God is restoring. And when he restores it, there's a sweetness to it. There's a beauty to it. And uh, there's just an awesomeness to it because his, his fingerprint is on it. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of that, that type of art that they do. I think it's a type of Japanese art where they'll have like a broken pot and then they fix it with gold, you know, and the pot was all shards, but all the little places where it was broken, there's gold in that place. And that's kind of how redemption works. Amen. I mean, everybody in here, how I many know we've all been broken, right? But it's okay because the Lord's fixed us and the Lord's continuing to fix us and he loves us, amen? And so God is a God of restoration and restoration is a real important part of the kingdom of God before Jesus' return. And um, there, you know, I don't think the return of Jesus is based purely upon how bad the world is. Um, I don't think it's based purely upon, uh, you, know, you know, wars and rumors of wars and, you know, earthquakes and all the type of stuff. I know that's a part of it, but there's also this statement, there's this promise in the book of Acts where it talks about the necessity of restoration before Jesus' return. And so I don't believe that we're going we're gonna to leave this place in a state of defeat. I believe the church is going to be victorious and we're going to be kicking the enemy's butt. And uh, that's what I believe because it's the ultimate victory that not only would the Father beat the devil, but that his kids would too. And so, you know, the Bible says that we receive an abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness. We're reigning in life, that we are conquering over the enemy. And so God has a path of victory for you. God has a path of winning for you. God does not have a path of defeat. Now you're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have highs and lows. But at the end of the day, how many you come out, you come out on top and that's just facts. And, uh, but in Acts chapter three and verse 19, it says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. Whom heaven must receive. How many of you Jesus is in heaven now? Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. And so what I believe, these past couple... How many know when the early church started, they were firing on all cylinders? And they were rocking, man, and they were turning the world upside down. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the Roman Empire didn't know what to do with them. Nero didn't know what to do with them. No one knew what to do with these people. 
um, because they were turning the world upside down. And the, and the early church operated in great power, great unity, great love. Everything is just powerful in the beginning. But Paul said, when I leave, there's going to be grievous wolves that come in and they're going to come and steal all this life that we've been carrying. And how many know that when Paul finally passed on to be with the Lord, that uh, that's exactly what happened? How many of the church was, was uh, plunged into dark ages? Uh, they lost the revelation of the gospel. Uh, they lost the revelation of the power of God. They lost the revelation of healing. They lost the revelation of you know, speaking in tongues. They lost, the revel- they lost all these different revelations. And, and how many know that in the past, now in the 1500s, Martin Luther stepped forth and, and uh, started to rediscover the gospel and uh, that the just shall live by faith and that we're just by faith. And then in the hundreds of years since, how many know there's been a restoration of, of the things in the church? How I many know we've had, you know, the healing revivals back in the, I believe it was the 70s and, and you know, and, and all these different outpourings of the spirit. What's been happening is, is, is there's been light that's being restored, Right. And so, uh, how many of you know, as, as you guys have had the light restored in your lives, how many of you know you've been pursuing truth? And how many of you know it's taken you many different places? It's taken you different churches. It's taken you different fellowships. And, um, you know, I, I got saved in a Baptist church, you know, and I'm so grateful for, for being saved there and grateful for what I learned there. But, but how many of you know, there, and nothing against the Baptist church, they're doing wonderful things, but, but how many of you know there's, there's more than what light, the light that a lot of those folks have? There is the baptism of the Spirit. There's the power of God. There's hearing the voice of God, all of these things. And so in pursuit of truth, um, it's taken us many different places, and there's been a restoration of truth that God's bringing about because God, how I many you know, He wants the beauty of his body, the beauty of his bride to be restored and to be seen in the earth. Amen? And we need all those little pieces of the puzzle. We need all those little aspects of truth. And, um, and, I, and I, fully, I fully believe that we can learn from, from anybody and from anyone. I never want to, you know, t- I mentioned the Baptist denomination. I don't, would never want to throw them under the bus. There are things that they do very well. They love well. And uh, I mean, and a lot of folks get saved from the Baptist church because the charismatics are too busy doing other things, right? I'm not. I'm, I'm lovingly speaking towards the whole body, but what I am saying is we can all learn from each other. But at the end of the day, there's a plan of God to restore truth, and to restore light, and to bring the the church to a place of strength and, and a place of power, um, individually and then also corporately. And so it says, "Whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things." And so once this restoration is finished, then Jesus returns. Once the gospel is preached to the entire world, then Jesus returns. Now, in the midst of that restoration, how I many of all hell's breaking loose on the planet, right? All kinds of things are happening. We see that right now. We're not going to focus on that. Um, but there's, there's, there's a plan to restore. Now, one of the things we've been talking about is how I many you know in the day and age that we're living in, there's a restoration of the tabernacle of David. And the beauty of the tabernacle, and I'll just mention this here briefly to kind of bring us all on the same page. The reason I talk so fast is so I can get in as much as I can in the amount of time that your butt can handle. You know what I'm saying? Amen, because once the butt taps out, the mind's gone too, right? <laughs> anyway, praise God. Um, but the, the tabernacle of David came, and it was a restoration of um, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant represented the finished work of the cross. How many of these past few years, many of us have been rediscovering the gospel and rediscovering the finished work of the cross, and, and it's been such a joy to find out that Jesus did a good job and that we actually are forgiven, and that we are righteous, and that all the promises in Him are yes and amen, and they're not for sale, and they can't be bought, and they can't be earned. And um, that's being, being restored. And the tabernacle of David uh, was different than the way that they had done things 
I mean, the tabernacle of Moses. How many know in the tabernacle of Moses that the, the ark was behind the Holy of Holies and it was not accessible to the common people? And uh, the, the, the inner court was the place where the priests dwelt. The outer court was the place where the common people would come and they would make sacrifices. But when David came along, how I many old David was prophetic and he changed things and he came in and said, look, you know, we're not going to have an inner court and an outer court. We're going to bring the presence of God and we're going to make him center stage. And then we're going to invite all the people to come and we're going to celebrate together. And there's not going to be different classes of people. There's not going to be just one group of people that's anointed and one group of people that's not. I mean, you know, in the tabernacle of Moses, there was a distinction between the people. If you weren't a priest, you couldn't come into the inner court. If you weren't a high priest, you couldn't come in, uh, you couldn't come into the Holy of Holies except once a year. So there was a distinction of separation in classes of people. That's never been God's will. Because how many know that, that we are sons and daughters and there's an equality that's in this room? Can I get an amen? There's nobody in this place that's any better than anybody else. And we all have equal right, we all have equal access. You know, the front row is not more holy than the second row or the third row or any of those things. That stuff's not true. And what the tabernacle did, it kind of created this wild atmosphere of praise and worship and and the arts and the prophetic. And and people just came and they met together with God as a family. And and no one was esteemed higher than anybody else. And they came together in a sense of family. And, 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 and And I believe that that is one of the things God is restoring. He's restoring this sense of family in the body of Christ. He's restoring this sense of equality. He's restoring this sense of we come together and we are one. Nobody's any better than anybody else. Everybody in this room, you can learn from somebody in here. Can I get an amen? Everybody in this room is anointed. Everybody in this room has giftings. We can come together and we can allow Jesus to be center stage. And not a man be center stage, not a ministry be center stage, not a denomination or non-denomination. Nothing born of the hands of man will be center stage. Only Jesus Christ. And, and, and that restoration is happening in the times that we're living in. We saw that in the, in the Asbury revival. We saw a unique situation where the outpouring of the Spirit was coming, and nobody took the stage and was glorified. Oh, gosh, I was so happy to see it. I was like, wow, we really can do this. There are no superstars, no, no hero worship, just Jesus, just Jesus, just Jesus, just give me Jesus. Amen? And oh, it's so good, and I'm so thankful. So that's something that God's doing in the day and age that we're living in, and I'm so thankful for that, and uh, there's a restoration of that that's happening, and um, it really centers around the finished work of the cross. And when you understand that, you start to realize nobody in this room can take credit for anything. He did everything, and then he gave it to us for free. And your response is, thank you. You know, and then you, you can't elevate yourself above somebody else and someone can't elevate themselves above you because how many know there's not different levels of righteousness in the kingdom? You're either the righteousness of God or you're not. The light switch is on or the light switch is off. There's just no difference. And we've missed it in the body of Christ when we turn the church into this pyramid scheme where the pastor was the head of everything and the anointed one and the righteous one and the holy one and we're just trying to get close to him. That's an old covenant mindset, folks. Uh, there's no middleman between God and man any longer. Moses is dead. You should not have a relationship with God through your pastor. You should have your own relationship with God. Okay, get an amen. Now, your pastor's here to serve you, to love you, to point you to Jesus so you can have your own relationship with God, but in no way, shape, or form is he any better than you or more righteous than you, or even better at hearing God for you than you are. When you understand that you hear God for you better than anybody else can. Now, I'm not saying the pastor can't come alongside, can't correct, can't give wisdom, all these things. But the new covenant's based upon this reality. They shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. That means everybody gets to know him. 
And there's not a back seat in the kingdom. There's not a, there's not a, there's not a table relegated. You know, these are the uncool kids, and these are the cool kids, and all this bunch of stuff, man. All these things are, were created by man and, and, and carnality and even the enemy. And so until this starts happening, we can't love each other well because as long as you think you're better than somebody else, you can't love them properly. Why, why, and Jesus said that they'll know us by our love for each other. Not, our, not even our love for the world. I'm all about loving the lost. I'm all about loving people like that. I love that stuff. But folks, people want to be in an atmosphere of love. And as long as we're in this pyramid scheme where we think somebody's better than somebody else and all these types of things, we can't love properly. I mean, you know, it's a place of equality. It's a place of family. It's sons and daughters. And that's where love can really flow. And people can feel valued, man. And that actually is what makes the church attractive because inherently in every human being, they want to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. Some folks are just you know, searching for it in the wrong way and seeking for it in the wrong places. But ultimately, at the heart of every human being, they want to be loved. You know why? Because they were created by love, and they've come from love. Amen? So anyway, and so there's this element of restoration that's happening, tabernacle of David, uh, so that the remnant of the Gentiles may come. And uh, church services are going to look different. Things are going to look different. I'm so ready for it. Whatever God wants, I'm ready for it. Whatever it looks like, whatever He wants to do, I don't care what it is, you know. Um, but then there's this other aspect of, of uh, restoration that happens, and it happens through the ministry of Elijah. And, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this in the past couple weeks. Elijah uh, is representing the prophetic, uh, representing the Father's heart. And, uh, you know, when, when Elijah comes, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. And there's a restoration of, of fathers and there's a restoration of children uh, that, that God wants to do. He wants to restore because we, what, what ends up happening is, you know, is we lose the former generations because the enemy manages to put a wedge in between one generation and another generation to where we can't pass the baton of wisdom. We can't, we can't receive and love each other well. And so God is doing it a difference. God's turning the hearts of the fathers back to the children. God's turning the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Yeah. I mean, you know that, that, that masculinity is under attack in our nation. It's under attack. Even the gender itself is under attack. The enemy's trying to remove the father. Uh, and it doesn't mean that women are important. It doesn't mean mothers are important. I was raised by a single mom. Mothers are extremely important. Mothers have had their hands to the wheel for the past, you know, couple hundred years just keeping the ship rolling because the men have been absent. And, uh, but God's changing that. And God's turning that around. And God is doing a restoration of that in the land so that we can actually have fathers. People, see, you know what a father does? A father cares about you. And a father's not looking to take something from you. A father's looking to give something to you. That's just the bottom line. It's so simple and it's so easy. It's not, some, it's not a flashy position. It's, not a, it's, it's just fathers are just looking to give. They're looking to be the shoulders that the, the next generation stands on. And so there's a restoration of that that's happening in the Lamb. And, uh, and, that, and how many know that, that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, right? Yeah. Right? And so today, any, in times of transition... In times before God does something major, He always sends forth the spirit of Elijah. And, and that's what's happening in the times that we're living in, and there's a restoration that's happening. And, uh, you know, I, when, I, when I'm out and about and I see a dad dadding well, I thank them and compliment them. I don't care if they're saved or not saved. I don't care. I mean, there's a guy who's in the gym the other day, and he was working out with his daughter, and I could tell he really cared about her. And, um, and, I, was, and I just came up to him later, and I said, man, I was like, you're a good father. He said, man, I'm trying. He's like, he kind of hung his head. He said, I'm trying. I said, look, I said, you're a good father. I can tell you really care about her. I, said, I just want to say thank you to you. And it kind of shook him a little bit because you don't have conversations like that with people normally. But, um, but at the same time, man, you know, 
God's raising up fathers in the land. Okay, get an amen. Okay. And so, so we've been looking at that, but Elijah also restores something else. And uh, Mark chapter 9 and verse 11, and uh, I want to talk about this here. It says, And they asked him, saying, talking about Elijah, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. Now, it comes to, to bring a restoration. Uh, it makes the crooked places straight. We take the valleys and we bring them high. And we take the mountains. And we, I mean, we're preparing a way for the coming of the king. Right? And this is a part of that preparation. And so there's a restoration calling upon it. Now, when I'm talking about spirit of Elijah, I'm not talking about certain individuals. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not saying this person's Elijah. I'm not saying any of those things. How many others one spirit? It's the Holy Spirit. Can you get an amen? I, I don't want to get weird, you know what I'm saying? Because we spent too much time weird, right? No, no, it's the same Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, but there's a function of the Holy Spirit that, that brings restoration, and He raises people up to do that. And you don't have to be a man to operate in that. Can I get an amen? amen. We are all operating in that together. If we know the truth, how I many we're all sons of God? Amen. Come on, we're firstborn, we're sons of God, and how I many we're all the bride of Christ? Amen. So it's fair, right? <laughs> amen. And so, but there's a restoration that's happening, and, um, and so I, I, for sake of time, I don't want to spend too much time um, uh, going over these scriptures. But when Elijah came, he restored the altar. You know, when he, when he withstood the prophets of Baal, he restored the altar first. And then there was a display. How many of the altar is a place of relationship? And then there was a display of power in the land. And I believe that's coming again. There's going to be a display of power. There's going to be the prophets of Baal are going to stand against the, 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 the prophets of the kingdom. And there's going to be a display of the power of God in the streets. Um, how many know the enemy never, ever, 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 ever can do anything against the power of God? Like, it's, there's no comparison. Never fear the enemy. Never fear, fear darkness. Just let the light shine. Amen? But it is definitely time for some confrontation uh, with the enemy. And that's exciting. And I'm looking forward to that. Because some people are not going to believe until they see something. Some people are not going to believe until they see the power of God in display. And that's okay. Amen? But that's coming. And so there's a restoration that's happening. And, and so, and I'm going to skip all that, and I'm going to come down here to this. And so this is what I really want to talk about today. There's a restoration of, all right, now here, let me, let me stop here. Everybody in here, when you, how many of you have, everybody here, you have a father. And we all have that same father, right? Like you have a father, like I'm Ethan's father, but we both share the same father. Right? And so we have a father, and there's something that happens to you when you hear the father's voice. There's something that comes alive on the inside of you. There's a warmth, there's an encouragement. And now, how many know that we didn't really understand the father's voice when we were under condemnation? When you don't understand the finished work of the cross, then you spend your days thinking God's mad at you, or judging you, or condemning you, or punishing you. And I mean, that's actually not who God is at all. That's not God's heart. God's, that's never been God's heart. But the enemy's always trying to come in and pervert the Father's voice. How I many know oh, that's what he did to Adam and Eve? How I many know oh, when, when, when he came to Adam and Eve and tempted them, he took the Father's words, but he added a little bit to it. And he twisted it just a touch. And so children that trusted their father stopped. And then they did what their father told them not to do because they stopped trusting their father. 
And the reason they stopped trusting their father is their father's voice was twisted. And the enemy planted the seed of doubt in their mind that Father God is holding something back from me. Y'all tracking me here? So to this day, the primary attack of the enemy is to try to get us to think God is something that he's not. And that's why the book of James says, um, you know, um, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's neither variableness nor shadow of turning. It says, do not be deceived in this area. Why? The enemy's always trying to deceive you to make you feel like God is not good and God is holding something back. And so he's always trying to twist that voice of the Father. But when you hear the pure voice of the Father, it does something for you. And now how many know God speaks a lot of different ways? God speaks through nature. Uh, you know, I ceased to be an atheist as a result of nature speaking to me. I didn't get born again or anything, but I stopped being an atheist one morning uh, just beholding the beauty of, of a sunrise. And I thought, man, there's just no way this thing happened by mistake. You know what I'm saying? I stopped being atheist as a result of that. And so uh, he's speaking through nature. He's speaking through uh, preachers. He's speaking through uh, any way he can speak, he'll speak. Can get an amen? amen. And then here's the cool thing about it is, you know what else he wants to do? He wants to speak through you. Everybody in this room, the Father wants to speak through you. You know, the Father just speaking through the preacher, that's, not, that's actually not biblical. Not as a New Testament Christian. The Father wants to speak through you. And so, um, and not only does He want to speak through you, he wants, he wants you to hear His voice through other people as well. And so, there's a restoration of the Father's voice in the prophetic in the prophetic. How many, anyone here been abused by the prophetic before? Controlled, manipulated, prophylied to. All that bunch of junk, right? I mean, so much so that, you know, some of us for a season, we kind of walked away from it. We're like, forget this, man. I'll just take, I don't even want to mess with this. But, but out of all the gifts of the Spirit, God says this one's the most important one. Why? Because it's hearing your Father's voice. And when you hear your father's voice, it will accelerate you into your destiny. It will confirm your identity. It will make you strong. And so the prophetic is healthy and good and beautiful, and it's a gift from heaven when it's done properly. Now, when it's done improperly, people are standing in the name of God, acting like they are the father, but really they're not. They're somebody else. And so um, in 2 Kings 2.12, um, uh, Elijah is about to... Um, ascend, and he's about to leave the planet, and Elisha is being raised up by Elijah, and, uh, and Elisha is in this moment where, you know, he's about to receive his father's blessing, he's about to receive that mantle, and he's about to do twice what his father did. How many of you know God's all about increase? Can I get an amen? God never decreases, God always increases. And so, but, he, but Elisha says something, he says, and Elisha saw, he saw him go up in the chariot in the whirlwind, Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen, he saw him no more, and he took hold of his clothes and tore them in two pieces. He received that mantle. But I want to show you what he refers to him as. He said, My father. There's something about the prophetic and fathering that go together. Okay? And so we, God is looking to restore that. Now turn to 1 Corinthians 14, please. And I alluded to this just a moment ago, but I want you to actually see it in Scripture. The prophetic is very important. Very important. 
1 Corinthians 14 and verse 1, he says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So he, he, he says prophecy is, is the most important gift. And once again, the reason it's the most important gift, because it's the avenue that you hear the Father's voice. Now, the greatest of all prophetic utterances is the Word of God, is Scripture. How many of Scripture is above everything else? And, uh, but, but Scripture is the Father's voice that have come through people. But this gift of, of, of the prophetic, it's very powerful in building and edifying the church. You ever got a word from somebody and you knew it was straight from God? What does it do for you? It, 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 let, it, it does a lot of things for you. It lets you know that God knows you. God knows where you are. And God loves you and God believes the best in you. Anytime you get a, a true prophetic word from someone, it's, it's speaking to who you are in the Spirit. It's not speaking to your failures. It's not speaking to your mistakes. It's not speaking to all the trash and all the mistakes. No, the, the, the Father always confirms sonship. The Father always confirms daughtership, right? And, you know, when, when, the, when the prodigal son came home uh, and the father saw him, how I many you know immediately the father began to speak into who he was? Not where he'd been. Father didn't bring up the pig pen. Father didn't bring up his failures. The Father spoke into who he was. Because if you can just believe who you are, then you'll stay out of places that you don't belong and that aren't actually who you are. And man-made religion has made the biggest mistake. Man-made religion say, well, you know, they would just name that person Pigpen. You know, label them Pigpen. Label them adulterer or adulteress or thief or liar or whatever. And... Um, God is not in the business of putting false labels on his kids. Now listen, I'm not saying there's not a time for correction. I'm not saying there's not a time for all of these things. But the correction is always to the place of who you actually are. Yes. And, when, and when, when, that, when, that, when that father put that robe on that prodigal son, that robe was a reminder of who he was. No, you're a son. Yes. You're my son. You're never not going to be my son. Yes. You don't belong in the pig pen. You don't belong in that life. You, this is who you are. And so... When you hear a true prophetic word from the Lord, it's going to confirm something on the inside of you. And it's going to strengthen you, and it will empower you, and it will propel you into your destiny. It will fast-track you into some things. And so that is very powerful, and we need it in the body of Christ. Amen? Now, I want to talk just a moment here about the incorrect prophetic. So let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 2, and in verse 15 here... Um, Loveless, fatherless prophetic looks to take. Loveless, fatherless prophetic looks to take. See, fathers are givers. They give. That's what they do. They don't, they're not takers, they're givers. And someone can have a prophetic gifting but not have the father's heart. And if they have a prophetic gifting but they don't have the father's heart, how many know you will know them by their fruit? Man, you don't, you don't know people according to their charisma or their giftings or their bumper stickers or their T-shirts. You'll know them by their fruit. What's the, what's the primary fruit? Love. Man, when I see love, I know something's good. I know something's healthy. That's more important to me than lofty revelations of intellectualism or any of those things. The, what I want to see is the character of Jesus. I want to see love, peace, and joy, and kindness, and goodness. I mean, those things, that's the real stuff, man. And um, But but there there has been a thievery of the Father's voice 
through false prophetic that looked to take and enslave the children of God rather than to give to them and really bring them into a place of freedom. And it's talked about over and over again in Scripture, and it's referred to as the way of Balaam. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. And so we see Balaam, and how many know Balaam had a genuine prophetic gifting, and it was real, but how many know that Balaam was looking to make money? And it became about money. And, and so he used his gift to, 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 to make money and to rob people. And, and can people do that with a prophetic gifting? Absolutely they can. You know, sadly enough, people clamor after prophets. And they follow them and they seek them out and they, they chase after them because they don't have their own relationship with God. Listen, man, the, the prophetic is here to add to your own relationship with God. The prophetic is not here to be your relationship with God. People, if people you know, chasing around prophets trying to get a word from God, go pray. Open the Bible. There's tons of words from God in there. And you set yourself up to be used and abused if you think that somebody else is going to hear God for you better than you can hear God for yourself. That's an Old Testament mindset. The Spirit of the living God's on the inside of you. You're not seeking a holy of holies. You're carrying the holy of holies. You, you, he's inside of you, right? And so you don't have to run around trying to get somebody to confirm you. And, and or, or some, you know, I have people message me on Facebook all the time. They're like, hey, do you have, can, you, can you give a prophetic word for me? And I'm just like, man, I, that's not how my gift operates. I can't just manufacture something, you know? And maybe some people can do that. Maybe some people can just be like, yeah, there it is, you know? But that's not me. Usually I need to be around you. Like I need to be kind of near you. And, and but there are times when God will give me a word for somebody, but 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 like we can't clank, we can't run after Jesus didn't die so you could have so you could hear his voice only through somebody else. Jesus came and died so you could have your own relationship with God. And honestly, anytime a prophetic word comes to you, it should just confirm what's already in your spirit. It's it's not gonna be something that that uh, now listen, there is a portion of the prophetic that that and we'll get into that in just a second, but so anyway, this guy wanted to take, not give. And so, Balaam. So I'll, I'll read this again. I'll read it in context. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of righteousness. For he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water. Clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. That's some deep stuff. I don't even know. But I will, say <laughs> I will say this, it says wells without water. What does that mean? How many know a well is supposed to refresh you? Yeah. A well is supposed to give something to you. A well is not supposed to take something from you. And so there's a well, there's a form of godliness there, but it's not actually giving anything to you, it's making you beholden to them. Amen? And so um, unfortunately, many of us have, have experienced this, but how many know just because something was done wrong doesn't mean it can't be done right? And we, and we can't cast the baby out with the bathwater. Um, if it's in the scriptures and the prophetic is something that is uh, honored and something that's encouraged, then I want the real prophetic, amen? And there is a real prophetic, and the real prophetic is here right now, and the real prophetic is on every single person that's in this room. Amen. You have to understand that. You can hear God for you, can hear God for you 
you can also hear God for somebody else. Amen. And so we'll take it a step further. Let's turn to Jude chapter 1 here and talking about Balaam again. Because he's referenced on several occasions, uh, not just as a person, but as a concept and a way of life. Jude 1.11, it says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. And perish in the rebellion of Korah. And so once again, the, the, the false prophetic, the loveless prophetic, the fatherless prophetic is looking to take, not looking to give. And uh, many of us have experienced that, and it's unfortunate. But uh, how many know that God, God is a restorer, and God wants to actually uh, restore this gift in the body of Christ? Amen? And so um, let's, turn, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so when we start talking about the prophetic, you know, it, it's really, you know, we have 1 Corinthians 12, and they've been talking about the giftings in, in, verse, in 1 Corinthians 12. And then 1 Corinthians 13, who knows what 1 Corinthians 13 is about? Love, right? And so like 12 is talking about the gifts, and then he says at the end of that chapter, yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Everybody say more excellent way. The more excellent way is the way of love, okay? And then 13, he just talks about love the whole time, and then when he gets into chapter 14, he goes right back into the gifts and the prophetic again. How are we going to hear the Father's voice without it being a voice that's filled with love? See, if, it, if, it, if, it's not a, if it's not a voice that's filled with love, it's a clanging symbol. And it might be loud, and it might draw attention, but it's not going to edify. How I many of the only thing that actually edifies is love? And so what I believe in the times that we're living in, there's a, res there's a restoration of the Father's heart. There's a restoration of love. There's a restoration of the finished work. But then ultimately what God's wanting to do is set His people on fire to share the Father's voice with those around them. You know how much easier it is to evangelize when you have a word from God for somebody? So much easier. You come up and you have a word for somebody or God's speaking something to you about somebody. And once again, I want you to understand this. This is not just for a select group of people. And I'm going to prove it to you scripturally. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, it says, But earnestly desire the best gifts, yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Talking about love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, Though I speak the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. He starts going down, and I'm not going to read through all this, but he's going to start going down how fruitless ministry is without love. If it's not ministering love, then what is it doing, right? And, um, and so there's a restoration of the Father's heart and His love in the body of Christ for the purpose of having an accurate and love-filled prophetic. Man, I've had, I've had encounters with prophetic people that scared the crap out of me. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I can remember what time I had. Because, you know, you think, because, you know, you're just some young person, you know, and there I am, and I'm like, well, this is prophet so-and-so, and I'm just this guy, you know what I'm saying? And, like, and then I can remember one time this guy said something to me, and it was so weird and freaked me out. And you know what it did? It, 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 it put me in a state of condemnation. Like, I was so scared that God was going to beat me up. I was so scared that God was going to reject me. And I mean, and I don't know if anybody's ever felt like that before, but if, if you've ever been in a place where you thought God was mad at you and re going to reject you and, and punish you and get you, that is a really scary, bad place. Because, dude, if God's not for you, then where are you going to hide? 
where are you going to go? And I can remember at that time just being really distraught. And, and see, the purpose of prophetic is to edify and to build up. But this word actually tore me down. And it tore me, it stripped me of all dignity. It stripped me of sonship. And it left me feeling naked and afraid and uncovered and ashamed. And, and I was just completely wigged out. And, you know, finally my wife had to, you know, kind of get a hold of me and say, look, you know, and just kind of speak a little bit of sense into me and, 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 and you know, just trying to get me to calm down because, man, I thought God was disappointed in me. And, and I'm here to tell you right now, that's not the voice of your father. The voice of your father is never going to strip you of dignity. The voice of your father is, is never going to, to leave you uncovered. How many you know when the prodigal son came home, he came home smelling like pig? The father didn't uncover him. He covered him. I mean, everything he put on him covered him. The robe covered him. The ring covered him. The shoes covered him. He covered him. He's like, I know you've been in a bad spot. I know you've been doing some dumb stuff. But I didn't come to reveal your sin. I came to cover it. Because you're mine. And you're never going to stop being mine. That's the true voice of the father. That's the true voice of the prophetic. And then some people would say, well, Jeremiah, you're just giving people a license to sin. Well, Jeremiah, you're just telling them it's okay. Listen, folks. When you know who you are, it's very difficult for the enemy to try to talk you into activities that are contrary to your nature. Sin is contrary to your nature. And the reason that a believer ends up wrapped in sin is they've, they've, they've forgotten who they are. They behold, you be a hearer of the word and not a doer. They're like someone who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets who they are. When your doing gets away from your being, you've forgotten who you are. And you need to be reminded and that's actually what the gospel does. The gospel just reminds you of who you are. Amen. Can I get an amen here? And, and, and when you know who you are, um, you, you walk that out. And so the, the true prophetic is always going to confirm that and always going to bring, bring you back to that. Amen. So now, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, and, and I just want to talk about this here for just a moment. So sand, so, it's, so he's talking about gifts, and then he talks nothing about, uh, but about love, and then he starts talking about gifts again. And now I want to just zero in on the prophetic exactly what it actually does. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, it says, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men, but to God. But no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies, this is what prophecy does, speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. So New Testament prophetic is not here to scare you. It's not here to shame you. It's not here to find you out. New Testament prophetic is to build you up and to comfort you in the identity that you have as a son and daughter of God. And if it's doing something contrary to that, if someone is, is bringing the prophetic in and they're scaring you and they're shaming you, I question whether the voice of the Father is coming through their mouth. Hey, they may, have a, they may legitimately have a gift, but if they don't have the Father's heart, if they don't have love, it's just a clinging symbol. And it's just frightening the children of God. And um, so, yes. And so, now, so, this, this, so the prophetic, this is what it does. And so um, this is the calling of the prophetic. Now, are there times when it can be directive? Yes. There are examples in, 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 in the book of Acts where it's directive. Are there times when it be corrective? Yes, there are times when it can be corrective. I don't want to remove that because that's there. But it's, it's the minority. You don't need to be prophet-led as a New Testament Christian. You need to be spirit-led. 
And then the prophetic complements your already present relationship with God. Everybody tracking me here? Amen. And so now, let's, 1 Corinthians 14, if we drop down to verse 31, we start to find out how this includes all of us. Paul's speaking here. He says, for you, he says, for you can all prophesy one by one. All. Everybody say all. 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 You can all prophesy one by one. That all may learn, that all may be encouraged. So what I want to show you here is now under the Old Testament, yes, there were, there were only three groups of people that were anointed, the, prost, the prophet, the priest, and the king. They were the only people that were anointed. But under the New Testament, how many know that now the spirit of the living God lives on the inside of you? Yes. And the prophetic is not some weird thing. It's just you hearing what God has to say about you or towards somebody else. Yes. That's it. And then when you speak it, it's going to do those things. It's going to do edification, comfort, and, and, and encouragement. It's going to build up. Amen? Amen? Now, there's a lot of different ways the prophetic operates. Uh, those of you that operate, in, uh, that operate in this a little bit, who in here sees pictures? Okay, pictures, pictures. Cool, cool. And, and that's one of the ways that, that, that can happen. Um, I, God will show me pictures uh, more in like my personal time than when I'm praying for someone. Uh, when I am praying for someone, I hardly ever get like a picture, but what I do is I just kind of like have like a knowing. I just kind of get over into, I find that place, and then that knowing starts happening, and then utterance starts coming forth. So uh, God can speak to you through a picture. Um, God can speak to you through um, just having like a knowing in a place of utterance. I can feel when I, when I hit like that groove of what the Lord is actually saying to an individual, and things will just kind of start coming out of my mouth. Um, God can establish your thoughts. God can lay somebody on your heart. Because the, the end goal here is that the voice of the Father would come through you to somebody else. You don't have to be afraid of this. You don't have to think this is just for a select group of people. Every single believer can develop this and can operate in this in their lives. Amen? And because the end goal here, and this is the most important, how many of you know love is not prideful? I mean, you know, love does not vaunt itself. See, we, we've had times in the prophetic where it was all about the prophet of God. The prophet of God. And, and it's like, and so this person seems so high and so awesome and lofty and everybody else so low and they just wish they could be like him. And so they give him their money so they can be more like him or get closer to him or get, um, or get whatever. And, and, and the, the purpose, anything that's spiritual should not draw attention to you. Right. And that goes for preaching, that goes for worship, that goes for prayer, evangelism. Carnality is self-focused. Fleshliness is look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, I'm awesome. If, if someone is look at me, look at me, look at me, I'm awesome, what they're doing is they're trying to get their validation through ministry or through, through an action, and that is actually not spiritual at all. And that person is not yet established in righteousness. They're not yet established in grace. Because when you finally start to realize your identities in, in the Lord's love for you, and you're a child of God, and you're the righteousness of God, you lose the need for the attention of people. You, you, know, you lose the need, look at me, look at me, look at me. And so many times people are in ministry, and they're just looking to get validation through the adoration of people. And, and so uh, we, we have to guard against this. We have to stand against this because that's fleshly and that's carnal. True prophetic, when it's operating out of love, is actually not thinking about itself at all. How I many of love doesn't think about itself? 
If I'm loving you, I'm not thinking about me at all. And you know what happens to me? I get free from me. <laughs> it's the secret to ministry, man. The secret to ministry is just love people. Don't think about yourself. You know, don't, don't be self-conscious or self-focused. Just let love flow. That, that's, where, that's where ministry happens. That's where edification happens, right? And so prophetic, void of love, always seeks to exalt self. Ministry, void of love, always seeks to exalt self. But love does not look to exalt itself. Love looks to pour into somebody else. And, and what's awesome is, like, it's a great position to have love flowing out of you because you get, you're free from you. You're so free from you. You're not thinking about yourself at all. That, those are your, the greatest moments of your life are when love is coming to you and love is flowing through you. It's in those moments that you really start to live. And that's why I say it's more blessed to give than receive. Because in giving, like, you're just giving of yourself. And, like, how many of you it feels good to give? And I'm not just talking about, like, giving in the offering book. I'm talking about, like, it feels good to, like, give and to help and to serve and to love. Like, when it's coming out of a place of love, you're, lit, you're alive when you're doing that. And um, because it's in those moments that you get free from yourself. And, and, man, I'm telling you, Jesus said this is the secret to being happy. He did. That's what he said. He said, he said look, I'm going to show you how to be happy. I'm going to go wash everybody's feet. <laughs> but but, but what I, he said, this is happy are you if you do these things. Serving out of a place of love is the greatest happiness in the world. And it don't just happen in church. How many of you can serve your spouse? You can serve your wife. You can serve your husband. How many of you can serve your kids? And, and we get, things get off when we get selfish and we're looking at what we can take and what we can have and what is ours and I need this and I need that and I need that. How I many you know taking is a lifestyle of unhappiness? Because no matter what you take, it's never enough. And, and we can all get wrapped up in it, especially when there's fear swirling around and self-preservation and all these types of things. But like, you're, the secret to happiness is serving. Now listen, there's a wrong way to serve too. Here's the wrong way. The wrong way to serve is to not serve out of a place of love, but to serve out of a place of subservience or less than. This is really important to talk about because, you know, there's, there's been times in my life when I served because I didn't feel like I was good as the person I was serving. And I'm serving out of a place of weakness. I'm serving out of a place of I'm not as good. Do you think for a moment as Jesus washed their feet, he felt less than? Do you think he felt less, less of a king, less of the son of God? I mean, you know, he served in dignity and strength because he knew that serving was actually the true place of leadership. See, in the world, the people on top, everybody serves the people on top. In the kingdom, it's the opposite. He that's greatest among you will be servant of all. I just see, I, I just know... Sometimes I'm, I taste this, and I, and I experience it, and it's like, wow, this is so good. And then sometimes I fall out of it, and I get back into selfishness. And I think, you know, where's my sandwich at? <laughs> hey, man, just being honest, man, you know? And I have times when I'm really flowing in this, and it's great. And then I have times when I'm just like, man, can't somebody just, won't they just, what's wrong with everybody? Won't they just do what I want them to do? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, so, like, I'm not presenting this in the sense where I've arrived by any stretch of the means. But every once in a while, I'll hit this thing, and I'll be in it for a little bit, and I'm so happy. 
and my life is so good, and I'm in Kroger, and I'm just looking for somebody to help, you know, and I'm just out, and I'm just looking for someone to bless, and like, I'm so happy, but um, because love is flowing through me. It's just a call on our lives, amen? But see, in order to live like that, you've got to trust that someone else is going to take care of you. You got to trust that someone else is going to vindicate you. Because love, love seems so vulnerable. It can seem so weak to the world. But it, it's so powerful. Because when I'm loving you, I'm not looking to get something from you. When I'm loving you, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for God to take care of me. And I will open myself up and I will make myself vulnerable and I will serve you. And, and, and out of that place is just joy and happiness and strength. It's just amazing. So many times, you know, we, we wanting to change somebody or we're wanting to make somebody do this or make somebody do that. And if you'll notice in Scripture, <laughs> it never gives you Scripture to fix somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Like all those scriptures about husband and wives, that scripture in there is for you to do what it's telling you to do. It is not telling you so you can tell what you want your spouse to do. God never operates like that. How many says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? No, the catalyst is you. The beginning point is you. Can I get an old me? <laughs> it's true. It's true. You have your part. You do your part. God will take care of everything else. But as long as you're demanding that everybody else do their part before you do your part, you're never going to arrive. Because it's a place of supply. God's the one who supplies. God's the one who fills your heart. God's the one that does these things. Can I get an amen? And then as you start letting love flow through you, how I many of changes the people around you? Can I get an Amen. It does, but it, but you have, but because you're putting your trust in the Lord, yeah. and not putting your trust in yourself, and uh, my goodness, we all run around trying to change each other, you know, and what a frustrating thing to try to change. No, you're not called to do that. You're not called to, con- to to change somebody else. You're called to walk in what God's called you to walk in, and then let the chips fall on the other end. Can it, can it, you know what I'm saying? It's just the truth. But this love that I'm talking about. In this restoration of the prophetic, um, here's the thing: it, oh, serving out of a place of of um, less than, or, or 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 you're thinking someone's better than you, and all that. That's not serving out of love. No, if I'm serving out of love, then I don't lose my dignity one moment. I'm strong the whole time. I'm joyful the whole time. I guarantee you, as Jesus washed those feet, he was happy the whole time. Because his, because his dignity and his identity wasn't lessened because he was humbling himself and serving. It's powerful to serve. And so and this is what this is what the prophetic actually does is we're, we're, we're serving each other, love of God, we're serving each other the voice of the Father. And, and you have to understand there's no one in this room that's any better than anybody else. No one has more of a right to God than anybody else. Yeah, I can remember I was I was um, we were doing this prayer at the flagpole thing at the high school or middle school or some something, and and we were out there and they wanted me to come and pray, you know, because I was the minister and all that. And so I was out there and 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 I was like, and I, and I invited this lady, the, the lady who like organized it and all that. I invited her to pray. I was like, why don't you pray? She was. You'd have thought I'd have asked her to like hike Mount Everest. Like she was shot me pray. Like I'm not the pastor. I'm like, I mean, she was just like. 
I was just like, how? And, and my heart went out to her because I thought, how sad is it that you've been in church your whole life and you don't think that you have the right to pray? Because you've had people doing all the praying for you your whole life. And I'm not, you know, being mean towards her or where she's at, but that's really kind of sad. She don't feel like a child of God. She feels like just a lesser part of the body of Christ. How many of there are no lesser parts of the body of Christ? Amen? Praise God. So it says, for you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and that all may be encouraged. Amen? And then so, and then we'll close right here. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, it just makes this beautiful statement about love. Um, it says, and th- this is the love chapter, and this is the culmination of the love chapter. And he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. What is true maturity? I mean, you know, true maturity is love. Amen? And so, um, I just want to encourage you in that. Now, I want to give us an opportunity to pray for each other. Um, and I want to give us an opportunity to operate in this. And, um, and so, this is the part where you cease to be a spectator. And you start to be a, a, a part of what's going on. And so, and, and I want to, just several things. Um, you know, no pressure. Um, how many know that the, 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 the Father's house should be a place where you can miss it and still be loved and accepted? Yeah. Amen. But if you don't have an opportunity to practice this, if you don't have an opportunity to operate in this, then how are you ever going to learn? Because we, we, we practice it and we learn it in church and we learn how to flow in it and to operate in it. And then we want to be able to use it when we're out there in, 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 in the world and in the public and, and have an opportunity to evangelize and tell people about Jesus. Amen? And so we're going to take an opportunity and we're going to pray for each other. Amen? In, in, in just a minute. And if you don't feel comfortable with that, then you don't have to do that. But you're invited to pray for each other. Amen? And once again, as you're praying, it may be a knowing. Um, it may, you may, God may show you a picture. God may show you something. Stephanie's sneaking up here. What's going on? Oh, you just need that. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for drawing attention to you. I apologize. I'll just, amen. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways that it happens, but how many know you're never going to get good at anything until you start pra- trying to practice doing it? Can I get an amen? Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, a um, couple announcements for you. We have Bible study at our place this Wednesday. Uh, we're finally going to start doing these again, so it's going to be on the 22nd. This Wednesday, come to our house at 630. Uh, we're going to feed you, and we're going to love on you, and we're all going to talk about Jesus. And so that's at our place, 630 to 830. Um, if you're coming, tell me, because we know how much food to have. Um, so either text me or message me. If you don't have my cell phone number or my wife's cell phone number or whatever, let me know that you're coming. I think she's going to make her famous uh, carne asada tacos. Yeah, and I'm telling you right now, these things just change your life, man. I mean, they're just absolutely amazing. So we're going to... Now, what we had hoped is that it would be warm enough for us to be in our backyard. That's one of the reasons we kind of stopped the Bible studies, because we couldn't be in our backyard. It does not look like it's going to be warm enough for us to be in our backyard, but we're going to press on through, and we're just going to pack our house out, and we'll all just sit everywhere, and we'll eat, and the kids will have stuff to play with. But um, So this Wednesday, 6.30, our house, home group Bible study we got some local people coming. i got some people from my gym coming, which is kind of cool. And i uh, got this one guy. He's this close to getting saved, man. Like He's like right here. I mean, he's so close. I'm really hoping he comes. So anyway, so all right, cool. So there's that. we got our youth camp coming up uh, July 6th through the 9th. 
uh, will be, uh, that'll be our Grace Camp. That'll be coming up, Myrtle Beach Conference, uh, June 21st through the 24th. Our men's prayer breakfast was a real success. Uh, it was awesome. We had a really good time. We had probably like 30 guys and, uh, and just people from all different churches and stuff like that. We're, I think we're going to do those bi-monthly. I don't think I got enough in me to do it monthly, but I think we'll do it bi-monthly. Uh, then our outreach at the shelter was awesome. Uh, last Monday, we had a great time. A little eight-year-old boy got saved. Hallelujah. Yes. So just overwhelming. And uh, we'll do that next outreach uh, the second Monday of next month. And uh, so that's it. And so if you need to give an envelope this morning, lift your hands up. Dan will get one to you. And uh, we'll take up our offering. Thank you for giving into our ministry. Praise God. We will not be charging for any prophetic today. It's all free. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, you can give online too. Yeah, those of you that watch it online, gracepointgeorgetown.com, you can give that way. Thank you. I'm not real good at this part. Forget sometimes. Well, I'd almost rather you guys flown your gifts. Yeah, and then, and then we'll, we'll do some music back there. So after we finish this part, we're going to close out. And uh, if you want to head out, just head out. No condemnation. You got, you're going to got to eat. You got to go meet somebody. There's zero condemnation, but if you want to stick around and you want to pray for folks, um, feel free to do that as well. Amen. And um, that's just that's just what's up. So yeah, let's get those lights back there. We'll bring those lights low. So uh, be dismissed in the Lord. God bless you. Have a great week, or stick around, and um, we'll we're just gonna pray for each other if you want to stay. So um, if.